before we get too started this morning. I promised someone I would do something for them. Hi, Michaela. You, you, can ask, you can ask her mom what that's all about here in a little bit. Okay. He has risen. He is risen indeed. Let's try that again. He has risen. Indeed. As we come to the start of our resurrection services here at JIBC, I want to take you a place to a place in Scripture that is quite unique. It is what I call the convergence of the Gospels. Every Gospel account winds up at the same place. They track Christ's life his birth, his ministry, his time of trials and struggles, and all of them wind up in the same exact place. They wind up at the empty tomb. Bringing to focus what has happened not only in his life, but on the cross and in that tomb. Let's get our, stra- our facts straight first. Jesus has been killed. Friday night, Aaron did a great job of bringing that fact to us. He had been buried. He was guarded. His tomb had a stone in front of it. And the priests had hoped the entire episode was behind them. They were in for a major disappointment. But in the words of that great preacher said so many years ago, Sunday has come. Today is the day that we celebrate victory over the grave. Join me as we pray. Father God, we're we're humbled. We're undeserving. And yet we are eternally grateful for what you have accomplished through your son and what he has accomplished for us. Triumph over the grave, triumph over death, triumph over sin, triumph over the devil. All of it wraps up today in the empty tomb. Lord, may we see you as we study your word this morning. May you be glorified as my stuttering and stammering lips do their best to convey what you've put in my heart over these weeks. And Lord, we just pray that all that we say and do this day would be glorifying to you in Christ's name. Amen. I want you to join with me in the book of John, the 20th chapter. John writing, he says, Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark and saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two were were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. And so Simon Peter also came following him and entered the tomb, and he saw the linen wrappings lying there, and the face cloth which had been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, wrappings, but rolled up in a place by itself. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered, 
and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So the disciples went away again to their own homes. There's a couple of things in that passage I want you to kind of keep in your mind. The first one is that when uh, John and Peter got to the tomb, John stopped at the door. Hey, he didn't go in. Peter, a little different fellow we all know about Peter. Peter ran right in. Then I want you to look with me just briefly. One of my favorite passages concerning the resurrection is found in Luke 24 and 5 and 6. And I'll read it for you to, if you don't want to turn there. Luke records this. He says, as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, why do you seek the living one among the dead? To put it in the vernacular, why are you looking for him? He's not here. You're not going to find him here. He's not dead. And then verse 6, he says, he is not here, but he is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee. It's at this point all of history collides. Everything that man has ever done, everything that man thought they understood about life, death, and the afterlife, everything that they thought they could have ever been accomplished comes into strict contrast to what has happened in the empty tomb. One who was dead is now alive. And the one who is now alive will be alive forevermore. Everything else that I have ever considered in my entire life pales to the knowledge of the empty tomb. The empty tomb is the focal point for me of all history. It separates time. It separates all things. In the empty tomb, we see some promises of Scripture fulfilled. And clear back in the book of Genesis, we see in the garden in the third, third chapter, around the 15th verse, the promise was made that Satan would uh, try to destroy Christ. It says literally, and he will, and I will put, pardon me, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, and he shall bruise his heel but he shall crush your head. You see, God knew what was coming. And even though Adam and Eve had sinned, God still continued to love and to care and to watch over them, knowing that somewhere in the future, Christ would go to the cross, and then in turn, he would come out of the grave. Then back to the book of John. In chapter 2, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You can only imagine how incensed all of the religious leaders were. It took 46 years, Scripture says, for them to build this temple, this elaborate temple. 46 years is a long time. That's, that's the pace the state moves when they're fixing a highway. Okay? I don't know how many of you go through New Albany or not, but are you watching what they're doing in front of the fire station? We're about three years in on that, I think, and all they're trying to do is add a lane on each side. Um, and if you think they're going to fix Route 62 in 35 days out at, at Miller Road or, or Beach Road, they'll change the sign probably tomorrow. They're not, probably not going to make it. That's the pace that the government moves, literally. But 46 years to build the temple, and Jesus said, I will raise it up again in three days. They were incensed. They didn't understand that he wasn't talking about a building. He wasn't talking about stones. He wasn't talking about mortar. He was talking about himself. You see, when Jesus made the promise to rebuild, to raise the temple up again, it was a temple that was so unique and so wonderful and so special and so amazing that literally we couldn't grasp it. He's talking about himself. 
And in the empty tomb, we see the power of Christ displayed. Uh, turn with me to the, to the book of John, chapter 10, if you would, please. This is too important for me just to read it to you. Verse 17 and 18. Verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that I may take it again. No one has taken it from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I received from my Father. Jesus gave up his life on the cross. Friday night, Aaron clearly told us from Scripture that Jesus decided when the time had come, and he yielded up his spirit. He had the authority and the power and the right to lay his life down. And that right, that right and power also include the ultimate authority to pick it back up again. Man could not take from him what he did not allow them to take. He did not give them the ability to take his life against his will. He willingly gave his life on the cross. And to defeat the plan of Satan even more, he fulfilled scripture and never had a broken bone. He decided when it come to an end. Just like on this Sunday morning, on this resurrection morning, Christ decided it was time to rise from the grave to fulfill what Scripture had said. He beat the devil as their shirt used to say. used to have a shirt that said, Jesus beat the devil with a big ugly stick and it had a cross on it. And that's exactly what had happened. Jesus denied Satan his victory that he thought he had had. When you consider all of Scripture, when you consider the great accounts, do you all have great narratives from Scripture, great stories about Jesus and the things he did? Do you have a favorite? Like, do you have one that, that if you're going to share something with someone, you go to this story and you share it with them? I've got a couple. There's some that, that just light my fire. The, probably my favorite is the man born blind. Because in that, Jesus touches him, goes to him, heals him. And the Pharisees get all out of shape, and they get themselves all worked up, and they start questioning. And he asks them, he said, if I tell you the story again, will you become his disciples? Oh, they're, they're incense. They get his parents, and they question his parents. And his parents go, I don't, I don't know. He's an adult. He's a grown-up. Ask him. We don't know. And the futility of the Pharisees has shown against the power of the living God has always excited me has always made me smile, and sometimes I even laugh. Another story, the Samaritan woman, God knew her past. Jesus knew all about her and yet loved her, ministered to her, redeemed her. You see, Jesus has the ultimate authority. The empty tomb is just a display of his power and his authority. In the empty tomb, we find the final appointment of every man. Every man will die. I don't know how to tell you that. If you haven't figured that out in your own life, well, then maybe somebody should have told you eventually someday your life will come to an end. And in that moment when your life ends, you, you will find out exactly what it's like to see the living God. You see, because those of us that put our faith in Christ now in the empty tomb, we don't have to worry about that final appointment. We know that our debt's been paid. But back to the tomb. Returning back to the book of John in the 20th chapter, 
Remember I told you that, that John didn't go in. There's some speculation as to why John didn't go in. Maybe he was, maybe he was afraid of seeing the dead body. Maybe he was um, going to respect the sanctity or the, the sacredness of the tomb, if you will. Or maybe he was just plain scared. I don't know how I would have responded. I know the one that I said that I loved and I would give anything for, the one that I'd walked with, the one that I'd seen, the one that I'd loved, the one that had done all these things was dead. I'm not so sure I'd want to see him dead. So John doesn't enter, but Peter, I love Peter. Peter's on the uh, jump first, look later train all the time. Peter gets out on the water and then realizes he's walking on the water and he about drowns. Peter's the guy that always seems to be in the way. Peter's the guy that falls in the mud puddle when you're walking everywhere. He's the guy that we normally look at to say this is a rambunctious and uh, a rather uh, spur-of-the-moment kind of guy. But Peter runs in. He's not concerned. The door's open. He runs in. And what does he see? They found the burial items just as you would expect. They're laying on, on the slab where the body would have been. We see the burial linens. They're still there. And the face cloth has been rolled up and only... The burial linens still look like a body. They still look like we would consider a mummy. I did some reading this week, and as I was reading through it, I realized there's no way you could take those wrappings off a body and get them back in the same way they were in. It'd be like trying to put your clothes back in, back in a situation where it looks like you're wearing them. You just can't do it. Only these were strips of linen. So this isn't like putting a shirt on or a pair of pants. This was a complicated procedure. And as they walked in, that's what they saw. They saw the linens lying there, still looking like Jesus was in them. Only the chest would have been sunken because there was nothing to hold it up. That means that nobody took him out of the linens, but rather he took himself out of the linens. And not only did he take himself out of the linens, he took the face cloth off, rolled it up, and set it off to the side. You see, no one took him from the grave. He took himself from the grave. And in that, he left that reminder for John and Peter to see. I would imagine, personal opinion, that at that very moment, seeing the grave clothes lying there, that every doubt in John and Peter's mind disappeared. I would imagine when they saw what was happening there, what had transpired while no one was looking changed their life forever. There are things that will happen in your life that change the way you think and the way you act and the way you do things. I would imagine this was one of their moments in their lives that they were never, ever the same. The body was not removed from the tomb, but rather yet Jesus removed himself from the linens. I want to talk to you about the grave here ever so slightly. Um, don't want to bog you down with a bunch of details, but a Roman guard was assigned to protect the tomb. There were probably between 12 and 16 soldiers. These weren't just, uh, these weren't just people they picked out of the street. These were actual Roman soldiers, and they would come, and, and they would take turns. Four of them would guard the opening, and the other 12 would guard the four, and then during that, some of those would take a nap and sleep to protect and to make sure everybody was rested and capable. So not only would they do that, but they would also put 
a, sh a shim underneath this big stone to keep it from moving if it was in prone to do so. They would put a shim in and they would put a rope across the face of it and they would secure the rope to the rock with wax and they'd put a signet ring in it. It had been sealed. That was a Roman seal. And these guards are standing in front of it. The stone would have been huge. The stone would have been big enough that no one person could have moved it. Would have taken a group of people to move this stone. Not only that, how in the world would a group of people move a stone that size without waking up at least one guard? How would they have done it? They couldn't have done it. So the account that is given that somebody broke in and stole the body while they were sleeping certainly doesn't hold any weight because if the Roman guards had all fallen asleep when they found out they would have been killed because you get shot for sleeping on guard duty. In verse 8, back in the book of John, the other disciple who entered saw and believed. Do you believe? Do you know the empty tomb? Do you know the power that's in the empty tomb? I believe the stone of disbelief has been rolled away from their eyes. But also at the empty tomb, we find a great deal of contrast. And this is the bulk of what I want to speak about this morning is the Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Colossians that Jesus took our sins and nailed them to the cross, took them out of the way. The King James says the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. He nailed them to the cross. He paid for them to tell us die, as Aaron shared with us uh, Friday night. I want you to see the contrast of the empty tomb. From Ephesians 2, we see we have been moved from death to life. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, and now we're alive. That's the contrast of the empty tomb. That is the difference between what was and what is. Once again, from Colossians, we went from being in sin debt to being sin debt free. Not that we don't ever sin, but our sins have been paid for if we put our faith in Christ. And then my favorite, 2 Corinthians 5.17, we went from being an old creature to being a new creation. How many of you are a new creation? How many of you have an old and a new? How many of you can go backwards in time to a point and say, at this point I was this way, but now I am like this? November 23rd, 1987, for me, I come to know Christ, and I knew 2 Corinthians 5.17 intimately. When I woke up in the morning the next day, it was as if God had erased the blackboard of my life and given me a new blackboard to write on. For you younger people, it would be the equivalent of a whiteboard. Okay? They don't know what a chalkboard is anymore. We've been moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light because of the empty tomb. From guilty to blameless. And then as Peter wrote in the book of 1 Peter, he was writing to a group of Jews that had been abandoned by their people because they had come to know Christ. They had been scattered abroad. He wrote, you have become a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of the darkness into his marvelous light. We're a people. We're a priesthood. We're special. We're different because of the empty tomb and because of what Christ has done. We are completely different than everybody else. God has made us into a a people group. And then later on in verse 10, he says, you, are not, you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. We're special because of the empty tomb, because of what Christ has done, his power over death and the grave, and our faith in him. We now have a Savior that lives forever. 
and we don't have to struggle with the details as much as we did before. The empty tomb is the focal point of all history. Christ is the turning point in all of mankind's history. The creation's great, Christmas is great, love that. But the real point of our existence is the empty tomb and resurrection Sunday. Because as Lockbridge said, Sunday has come. All of us are faced with the issue in our lives of how we handle the knowledge that we learn. How will you take the knowledge of the empty tomb? How will you handle what God has said has happened in the tomb? Will you pass it off? Will you go hunting for Easter eggs today? Are you looking for the Easter bunny? Um, I'm not. I'm a, I'm a firm believer the guy out on the hill has got the sign right, never mind the Easter bunny, look for the lamb. The lamb that takes away the sin of the world. Have you personally looked into the empty tomb? Have you stopped at the door like John did and just looked? Did you do like Peter? You ran right in? I ask you this morning, no, I beg of you this morning, look in the empty tomb. Put your head down. Stick your head through the door, if you will. Walk in and look. Explore the empty tomb. Explore the one who was there. Explore what God has said about his son. Explore the empty tomb because, as I've said before, the tomb is not empty. The tomb is full of grace. There is enough grace in the empty tomb for every man, woman, and child that was ever been born to come to know Christ. We are the recipients of the greatest gift ever given. Have you received it? November 23rd, 1987, I received my gift. Johnny Cash wrote a song once, he said, my balance, the debt has been settled. Have you settled your debt? Do you know Christ? Or is today just another get dressed up and eat a lot of food holiday? I hope and pray not. Join me. Join me in a word of prayer. Father God, the empty tomb, more there than we'll ever know, more there than we will ever fully understand. Empty just because the body's not there, but certainly full of grace, a lifetime of grace, an eternity of grace to be found. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We're humbled and we're honored. We'd ask today that you would encourage, that you would bless Pastor Dan's time in the Word. May we rejoice and enjoy each other's time this day as we celebrate the risen Savior. In Christ's name, amen.